listening to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This edition goes to the Pacific to talk to those facing rising seas. The United Nations warns of sea level rise continues at the current rate. The Pacific atolls of Kiribati and Tuvalu could be completely submerged within decades. More frequent storms and overcrowding are also placing huge demands on the island's already struggling infrastructure. This insight investigates how serious the threat of climate change is and how the region is preparing for an uncertain future. Ikiribas welcome a delegation from New Zealand after they touched down in an Air Force Hercules. Kiribati is made up of 33 atolls and islands, the majority of which sit just a few metres above sea level, making them especially vulnerable to high seas. But it's not just sea level rise that's affecting their way of life. A lack of fresh water, overcrowding and health problems are all piling up and putting enormous pressure on these beautiful atolls. I'm Chris Bramwell and this insight visits Kiribati, Tuvalu and Vanuatu to see how they're all coping and planning for a changing climate. On Kiribati's main island of Tarawa, BCO Hospital offers emergency and general medical care, as well as maternity, pharmacy and dental services. As I arrive at the hospital, orderlies are loading the body of a man onto the back of a ute. The man is covered with a sheet, and his wife, with tear-stained cheeks, climbs up to sit next to him as they drive slowly away. The facilities at the hospital aren't extensive, but even what it does have is threatened by ever-increasing tides. The tiny hospital has suffered flooding from king tides more frequently in the past 10 years, but last February a particularly high tide destroyed its maternity ward, toilet block and part of the seawall built to protect it. Inside the small emergency room, a mother is having her distressed baby seen to. Further through, in the sparsely furnished wards, patients rest on steel-framed beds while others lie on the floor. A nurse at the hospital, Terry Eromanga, says they do get advance notice when the sea is likely to inundate the wards. We are being informed by the radio, like the media, it's about the high tide, it's going up to uh, above 3 point something, I'm not sure what is the... So we, have, we don't have some preparation during that time, but when it's happened, we try our best to help our patient out from the ward and try to inform the, the ministry about that happened. Jerry Eromanga says she is worried and afraid for her patients. Because they still damage everything, like flooded all the way to the to the ward and came into the ward, flooded all the, like, the patient on the floor because we have still some patient on the floor at that time. We try and took them up and put on something that's very high and all their things are wet with the sea and we try to put them outside 
outside to the ward where it's more away from the sea. A new sea wall is being built, but Terry Eromanga fears it may not be enough to withstand the ever-increasing king tides. East of Besio, the small village of Ata has persistent problems with the sea inundating homes. The senior pastor of the village church, Eria Marere, says the king tides were never a problem in the past, but now they regularly breach the seawall. Where we stand, when we first came in 1980, it's all dry. No water can come up to this place. But now the whole dry ground is all covered with water during king's tide. There was one time we had a meeting, church meeting in the Maniaba, and the tide came in and washed the floor. Everybody had to stand up and not only that, but in the houses. When we first came in, we built the floor so low that when King's tide, this, uh, this just happened in the beginning of uh, 2000, uh, I think 2002, 2003, somewhere there where we had the first knockout of the King's tide and uh, all the floors of the houses were rich with the water and all the families had to get up in the morning, that morning, because the water had washed their mats, pillows and cases and all that. Eh? Iria Marere says the sea is reaching further inland all the time. When we first heard about the rise of the sea level, we thought that somebody made up a story that they don't know anything about it. At the beginning of 2000, that's when we begin to realize that it's no more of a fiction. It's a true story. And we noticed that our sea wall had been washed off a lot of times, but thank God our government had been helping us. But uh, now still, we need a lot of work on our seawall. We're waiting for government to give us a hand of help. But are these encroaching king tides really a result of climate change? Professor James Renwick from Victoria University of Wellington says they are. Sea levels have risen globally in the last century and more, and sea levels have risen faster in the western tropical Pacific than just about anywhere on Earth. So. As the sea level rises, even by a few centimetres, a king tide or a storm surge can come much further inland. Why the sea level's risen as much as it has in that part of the world, that's where it gets a bit trickier. Partly it's just the general warming of the ocean, so the ocean water expands, there is melting of ice off glaciers and so on, that's adding to sea levels. But there are also effects of, of the winds and currents and what we've observed in the last 30 or 40 years is a trend away from El Niño events towards La Niña events and what that's meant is that the trade winds that blow towards the west in the tropics have become stronger on average. So that's pushed water, it's actually helped to pile water up in the western Pacific. Do you know at what point life would become impossible on those low-lying atolls? Again, that's very hard to say. And one of the things about the way some of these physical systems work in the tropics, strengthening the trade winds and so on, can actually lead to accretion of sand in some of the atolls. or so Some of the islands in the Pacific have been observed to be getting bigger. So, it's, it's, it's again, it's a complicated story and you have to look 
place by place, but as the sea level continues to rise, and if we don't limit greenhouse gas emissions soon and the rise in sea level accelerates and we start to get a centimetre or more per year, then after that sets in, say by the end of the century, just the rising sea levels may well overwhelm any accretion effects in different island groups. So I think the lower-lying islands in the Pacific could become uninhabitable by the end of the century at, at the latest. New Zealand's Foreign Affairs Minister Murray McCulley says the local government is aware of the threat of sea level rise. But he says because the people want to stay there, New Zealand and other countries investing in the Pacific are trying to help them live more sustainably, particularly in the area of energy. We've had a crack at the first stage. Some of the easy wins, if you like, the low-hanging fruit, has been smaller, uh, more remote uh, islands where you can with a modest investment, shift them from 100% diesel-based electricity to effectively 100% solar. And we've been doing that. Uh, Tokelau, Tuvalu, Cook Islands. Uh, And uh, three years into this programme, we've had some good wins. New Zealand's Ministry of Foreign Affairs is also working on a major project on Kiribati called the Tamaiku Bight Reclamation. If it goes ahead, it will reclaim 327 hectares, lifting land in the area to two metres above current levels. The early estimates are that it would cost $88 million and could be completed by 2020, but MFAT needs other international partners to help fund the project. I mean, they're vulnerable islands, so what I saw was that they were facing climate change day to day, every day. Um, and it wasn't Labour's Sua William Seo visited Kiribati and Tuvalu earlier this year. He says the rising sea is affecting more than just people's homes or commercial property. You couldn't grow food crops properly or f- have any sort of agricultural industry. It was polluting its drinking waters, its underground aquifers. And the heat waves, you know, the heat is captured by the ocean, so that was causing bleaching of the coral, which in turn affects the ecosystem that those islands are dependent upon. Mr Seor says the people of Kiribati and Tuvalu are resilient. They are doing the best they can, uh, despite the overwhelming weight that is obviously on the leadership. So at the leadership of the country, you can sense and feel the weight of responsibility. They are fighting for the very survival of their countries. They're fighting for the very survival of their people. In terms of um, the people that we met on the ground who are doing their best, if it's not growing mangroves to protect their coastal lines or putting up sea walls, whatever they got, it's talking to the young people and trying to plan for the future. And so there's various categories of people. I mean, climate change is a a reason for them wanting to migrate. But the drivers predominantly for the young people in particular is, yes, we want to go overseas for job opportunities. Yes, we want to go overseas for educational opportunities. But we also want to return to our home. Overcrowding on South Tarawa, the main island of Kiribati, is also causing problems for the Kiribati government. People are moving away from the outer islands, not only for environmental reasons, but also because they hope to find better prospects on the main island. 
The population density of South Tarawa in 2015 was a staggering 3,866 people per square kilometre, which is three times the density of Auckland. That is putting serious demands on local infrastructure. Besio and Bairiki urban areas are heaving with people, but aid programs are working to make day-to-day life better, as when illness sweeps through the village, it can be deadly. So now we're going to go through this community on our left side. The New Zealand High Commission's Development Officer Lai Lai Taukwhai shows me around the village. She says simple changes in the village are making a big difference, but there's a long way to go. Normally the community don't, don't have toilets here, so we were, we were choosing this community because they are the ones building their own toilets from the support of Red Cross. And I think it's a very good uh, a step up for this community, mm-hmm. and we learn from them as well. So this is how they live, all built locally. Even you can see where all the pigs are around, that is allowed. Lai Lai Tarkwai says the New Zealand government has installed rainwater tanks in the village so people have access to clean water and a new rubbish collection system has been started. And here is our green bag system. They put the the, the rubbish in the green bag and when it's time for collection, they go put it in that collection point and the green bag truck come and pick them up. It's like a prepaid system. And where does the rubbish go? It goes to the landfill. Yeah, and only three landfill here in Tarawa. Mm. New Zealand's climate change minister Paula Bennett says the impacts of climate change in Kiribati were immediately obvious to her. You could certainly see it on the island itself with uh, with big tides and big weather events happening more often. But it's that overpopulated because of people moving in from the other islands that was absolutely stark and in some respects um, actually pretty horrific because you don't expect to see it in your own region um, that's living without sanitation, without the kind of basic facilities that, that we take for granted. South of Kiribati, the tiny state of Tuvalu is also often hit with king tides. It struggles with salt water intrusions into its water supply and the loss of land to erosion caused by the encroaching seas. During a typical island downpour, the Prime Minister of Tuvalu, Enele Sopoanga, told me it's important to him that Tuvalu becomes self-sufficient in terms of energy too. He wants the islands to be using 100% renewable energy by 2020. It is very symbolic for, for Tuvalu and we, that's why we are committed to this because you, you, you are right. It's not only the costs that we are dealing, it's also environmental. It's a contribution to uh, reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuels. So I think uh, countries like New Zealand and the European Union and of course hopefully some others are, 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 should be encouraged, should be uh, commended highly for their leadership in this. And of course hopefully others will join because this is our global response to cutting down greenhouse gases and of course the root cause of global warming, climate change. Enele Supawanga says the money used to import diesel to run the power stations on Tuvalu could be better spent. 
we always say every single shipment of uh, uh, containers and you know, tankers, oil tankers that come in goes out 45% of the GDP of Tuvalu. That's a lot of money. And that is, uh, uh, under my government, is totally unacceptable. We want to reduce down as much as possible and use that money to uh, develop education, uh, to develop access to internet, to health and other human resource development. That money needs to be saved in order to, uh, to help us adapt to impacts of climate change. Just again on climate change, you were very instrumental at the climate change conference in Paris in assisting the um, small island states to get that 1.5 degree into the agreement. It's been yes. six months now. Do you still feel that sense of optimism you did when you finished the Paris conference? I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by the prevailing uh, a very constructive response from the international community, particularly our neighbours, uh, New Zealand in particular. Uh, they are trying to offer those initiatives like the Prime Minister Key's uh, initiative on reducing or eliminating uh, subsidies on fossil fuels. These are all uh, efforts and I think I'm encouraged, of course, uh, it is our high aspiration uh, that the, the agreement itself would enter into force uh, in order to, to be able for the world to, to walk the talk, so to speak. Tuvalu's tiny main island of Funafuti not only has limited land area, it also has the added problem of serious pollution from giant pits that were dug during the Second World War and subsequently used to dump rubbish. American troops dug the huge borrow pits to get fill material to construct a runway. The pits filled with water becoming very polluted, affecting groundwater and the quality of life for residents. The New Zealand government paid for the rubbish to be compacted and the pits filled, which has resulted in an 8% increase in usable land on the island. Tuvalu's Foreign Minister, Tokelina Finekaso, says the difference is remarkable. It's a project that you can actually see the results of it, and uh, it, has, it, it has really made a difference to our, our islands, our small islands, you know. The uh, topography is uh, very different now, and, and it's beautiful. You know, I mean, that, that's the, the most uh, beautiful thing about it, you know. The island is, uh, looks much, much better now, you know, without those uh, brackish waters that we used to have in the front. At the end of her visit to the Pacific, the Climate Change Minister, Paula Bennett, told me the New Zealand government is providing practical support to people in the region to help adapt to the changing climate. Whether that is from, um, from, from reclaiming land and seeing that happening, um, the, the discussions of what might happen in Kiribati and, and really raising to two metres um, a huge 300 acres, a hectares that you could see making a real difference in how people live, um, from sanitation to you know, just a whole lot of different ideas where that money is going in and I think making a huge difference. Having seen firsthand yourself here the effects of climate change and the effect it's having on the people and migration and so on, does that change? the way you look at your portfolio? Does, has anything shifted for you on this trip? I think this has been a dose of reality, that you can read about it, you can hear the stories, but when you're faced with it in reality, um, it is incredibly stark. I don't think that everything they're experiencing is due to climate change. I think it's a, a, a combination of factors, um, but there's no doubt about it that that is one of them. And, um, yeah, when you're faced with the reality of... I went to the hospital and you see children that are really un well and uh, unnecessarily unwell if you like you know they're all diseases that they needn't be um, in hospital for if only they had the right access to the right clean water and, and sanitation facilities.
Professor James Renwick says climate change is also causing warmer water temperatures, which in turn could lead to fish stocks moving to cooler water or possibly dying out altogether. He says the oceans are also absorbing some of the extra carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is making the seawater more acidic, which in turn is bleaching coral reefs. We would expect to see more of that kind of thing, and as corals die off, then the ecosystems that they support would also either die off or move away somewhere else. So we could be up for some very big changes in marine life, marine food webs across the Pacific. The thing is, we have fairly sketchy observations, data on what's going on right now. It's quite a hard thing to pin down what all these marine creatures are doing. And then predicting how they'll respond in the future is also very hard. So the marine scientists I know, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting them here, would say I think that it's very likely we'll see some big changes, but predicting exactly what those changes will be is quite hard work. But first on Morning Report, thousands of people in Vanuatu are bracing for what could be one of the most devastating cyclones in decades. Cyclone Pam has been upgraded to a Category 5 storm overnight, the most severe rating, and it's expected to... Cyclone Pam wreaked havoc on Vanuatu, destroying whole villages and killing 11 people. Rosalie Vatu is the president of the association that runs the well-known women's market on the waterfront in downtown Port Vila. She says not only were the premises destroyed, forcing a move to a smaller space, but the slowdown in tourism was a huge problem for the 87 women who earned their livelihood at the market. It's just disaster, disaster. It affects the families at home. We cannot sustain our families anymore. Yeah. Even the kids, some of the kids, they just don't go to school. And the meals are cutting down. Uh, there's no balanced diet in homes anymore because the prices of the goods too in the vegetable markets and shops are rising up. It affects us Cyclone Pam was the worst storm in 12 years, with disaster officials saying 80% of the homes in the capital, Port Vila, were seriously damaged. Sophia Lades from the Red Cross in Vanuatu says there's a big push towards building back better and stronger. Not only to give an example of how things should be built, but also so that um, if another disaster comes, they are OK. And... Vanuatu is one of the highest um, countries in terms of disaster exposure, so it's really important. Sophia Lades introduces me to Xavier, who's going to drive me out to visit the village of Edatap, which the Red Cross has been helping to rebuild. The road up to Edatap village is four-wheel drive territory. Luckily, the vehicle we're in has no problem getting up the steep, very rough road. The chairman of Edatap's primary and secondary schools, Silesi Alban, is at the site where the classrooms are being rebuilt after they lost their roofs in Cyclone Pam. We sit under a nearby tree and he tells me that when the cyclone hit, the noise and damage were indescribable. Cyclone Pam is stronger than any cyclone that we experience. We and do you feel like you're more ready for another one? Yeah, now almost every building went down during the cyclone. Huh? So now 
everybody is aware of the cyclone. They are ready rebuilding the house, but they have the idea of another cyclone. Yeah. <laughs> if you have been here when the cyclone finished, you can't you you can't imagine, you can't describe. Every almost every homes went down. Yeah. Professor James Renwick from Victoria University says more intense storms can be expected as the planet continues to warm. The expectation is that we'll see somewhat stronger storms more often, but the total number of tropical cyclones might actually go down a bit. That's a bit of a curious feature of things. So you may go for longer periods between tropical cyclones, but when they happen, quite likely they'll be at the stronger end of the scale. And one thing that's very clear from the models is that because the atmosphere, as it warms, can contain more moisture, when you have a rainfall event associated with a tropical cyclone, there'll be more rain to fall out. So heavy rainfall events associated with tropical cyclones vary definitely on the increase. Given what you say across all those kinds of areas about how it is really difficult to predict what is going to happen, does that mean that the tropical storms will become more unpredictable? (laughs) That's a really good question. As far as we can see, no, is the answer to that. They should still form in much the same places as they do now. And overall, the the tracks of the storms should be in similar kinds of areas and directions as we see at the moment. The Foreign Minister Murray McCulley says it's his experience that people in the Pacific want to stay where they are, and international commentators talk more about climate change mitigation than anyone who's actually affected. Whatever other people say about climate change refugees, the people who are there don't want to go somewhere else. They want to stay where they are. That's where the tradition and culture is everything. And uh, there are strong reasons why these people want to stay. But they need us uh, to focus on some realistic uh, investments that are going to help them be able to stay. Labour's Sua William Seor says government representatives in the Pacific have told him that migration is the last resort, but they know they have to think outside the box. He says climate change refugees may not be a serious issue right now, but they will become one. These people are fighting a losing battle. What do we do as New Zealand? Yes, we've got an obligation, a moral obligation, and even it's in our own (laughs) self-interest. to support these island nations as vulnerable as they are to try and keep their land safe as far as possible. But also in the back of my mind, the overwhelming scientific evidence is telling us these islands will be underwater by 2050 or 2070. So we actually do need to have a a strategic long-term plan in preparation to help these islanders because we can't just sit around once those islands are underwater. And in fact, we have to start talking about what do we do about protecting them and recognising that they are refugees, that they will lose their lands because those lands will become uninhabitable before they are underwater. Sua William Seal says there's also stress and strain on people from Kiribati and Tuvalu who've moved to New Zealand but still have family at home in the islands. Not just, he says, because they fear for their safety and well-being, but also because those who've moved to New Zealand have to send money home to help their families and there are increasing requests for assistance. There is pressure. It is, you know, their ancestral home, even though New Zealand might now be their adopted home. And so if they've got 
grandparents, uncles and aunts, it's a constant worry. Not only is it to ensure that they've got the means to be able to support themselves through providing remittances, but it's also looking long-term about how do we ensure that they are safe and protected. While on the face of it, the situation for New Zealand's neighbours may appear uncertain, there is a broad and growing understanding of what lies ahead. There is clearly no single easy fix because the problems they face are so intertwined and complex. But the island nations are well aware of their plight and are making moves themselves to prepare for the future with the support of countries like New Zealand. I'm Chris Bramwell and that's Insight for this week. If you have any feedback, you can email us at insight at radioNZ.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical support from William Saunders.